Thank you, Pastor Mike. Good morning, church. Good to see you. Well, today we're going to continue in the second of 12 sermons in our study of the book of Proverbs. And today we're going to be looking at the benefits of wisdom. Last week, Pastor Paul led us in an excellent study of Proverbs 4, which consisted of a wise father teaching his children the essential truths about wisdom. And we learned that wisdom begins with a great reverence for the Lord. For Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And this father went on to speak to his children about the value of wisdom and its benefits. He was imploring them to get wisdom, appreciate it, embrace it, realize how much you need that if you wanna lead a good, honorable, and blessed life. And so through this 12-week study, I believe that God, our Father, is going to be speaking to us about the value of wisdom and its benefits. And I hope that we see how much we need it in our life. We need it because we live in strange times, polarizing times, rapidly changing values. Many voices call out to us. Many causes clamor for our attention. Many distractions for our soul. It's safe to say that we have not been this way before. And so we need God's wisdom to guide us, to settle us, to keep us grounded in the grace and the truth of God. Our souls desperately need the straight, steadfast, stabilizing wisdom of God to not just inform us, but to transform the way we think, the way we talk, the way we look at things our relationships, our values. Simply put, you and I, we need wisdom. To say that, that I need wisdom, I'm acknowledging that there's a certain lack there. And that's a little bit humbling. But it's good for us to recognize that need. And it's good to know that James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who will give generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. What a powerful promise that is. So let's continue to pray that God gives us wisdom as we study this book today and over the next few months. I want to say a few words about the structure and the setting of this text today. Proverbs 8 is a tribute poem that praises wisdom. And the author used a poetic device called personification in order to give wisdom a voice and really a personality. Because the Hebrew word for wisdom is grammatically feminine, wisdom is portrayed as a she rather than a he. We're not used to having that feminine pronoun when we talk about things of the Lord. Furthermore, utilizing the teaching tool of contrast and comparison, Lady Wisdom is com contrasted with Lady Folly. Chapter 7 and parts of chapter 9 are all about Lady Folly. So to be consistent, uh, Lady Wisdom had to be a lady. In this poem, Lady Wisdom is the personification of wisdom. She was never a real person. The fullness of God's wisdom has always existed in a real person, and we know that that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we listen to Lady Wisdom describe her qualities and her qualifications, 
it will sound a lot like the things that Christ would say about himself. And I don't think that's surprising because the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 2, 3 that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And in 1 Corinthians 1, 24, Paul said that Christ is the power of God, Christ is the wisdom of God. Pastor Paul said last week that when we think about wisdom, we're really thinking about Christ because he is the embodiment of God's wisdom. So with all that being said, uh, we will now look at the, uh, this rather extended and lengthy Hebrew poem in Proverbs 8. If you're able, I would invite you to stand as we read God's word. Just so you know, this should take about three and a half minutes. <laughs> Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. To you, O man, I call. My cries to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me. Those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the path of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with his fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress the command when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. 
Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. If you're thankful for God's word and God's wisdom this morning, I invite you to say amen and be seated. <laughs> Thank you. So bear in mind that this tribute to Lady Wisdom stands in stark contrast to the character called Lady Folly. We're not going to read Proverbs 7 today. That chapter was written as a poetic warning against the alluring and the seducing call of sin that seeks out each one of us, that targets us, that wants us. The lesson from chapter 7 is that Lady Folly, who represents sin, wants you and me to know her, to experience with her, to find ourselves in agreement with her ways of living, and to follow her all the way to the grave. And chapter 8 was written to make us aware, hey, there's another voice out there. There's another choice that you could take. That's the voice of wisdom. It's the voice that tells us to fear the Lord, to turn away from sin, to turn to God. So as we look at the text, the first thing that we could see in verses 1 to 5, wisdom is calling because wisdom wants us. Wisdom wants everyone to know her, to experience her, to agree with her way of living, and to follow her to our benefit and blessing. Verse 1, does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? What's this telling us? That wisdom is on a mission. Wisdom is seeking souls, not hiding, not silent, not tucked away in a secret society or available only to the brightest and best, not secluded in a religious temple or in the corner of a university library. No, in this poem, Lady Wisdom is out there where we are in ordinary life available to all. On the heights besides the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Wisdom is available to us in the heights and in the depths of life. She's there to guide us at the crossroad of our life. She's there at a place of decision, a place of direction. Are you at a crossroads in your life? Do you need God's direction? Are you seeking his will and wisdom and how to move forward? Trust that God's wisdom is there. It's available. It can guide you. Verse 3, beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. Now, the gates were a place of commerce, of judicial affairs, of local politics. Very busy place. Wisdom is calling out right there in the midst of all that, in the marketplace, in the hustle and bustle of common day life. But who's listening? Who is discerning wisdom's voice in the midst of all that? She cries aloud at the entrance of the portals. That's, that's doorways. Wisdom helps us navigate as we go through the doors of new experiences that open up to us. As we come into adulthood, we need God's wisdom. As we enter into college or past college into our professional lives, wisdom wants us to pay attention to her ways, to heed what she offers us. Certainly as we come into marriage and, and parenting, we will soon discover how very much we need God's wisdom. And all of our relationships and all 
of the ways we handle our finances and all of our health concerns and all of everyday life, we need God's wisdom. And that's quite fitting with the definition that Pastor Paul gave us last week. He said, wisdom is the skillful application of the fear of the Lord to every issue and all the complexities of life. God's wisdom is perfect. It's practical. It's personal. And the question before us is, will we follow God's wisdom or will we continue in our own wisdom? And the problem with us following our own wisdom is that Proverbs 26.12 says, do you see a person wise in their own eyes? More hope for a fool than for them. So who is wisdom calling? Who's invited to get to know her? To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. In these verses, we see that wisdom calls out to every child of Adam. Everybody is invited to learn prudence, to apply themselves, to gain the benefits of God's wisdom. It's not a call to acquire an academic degree to increase one's head knowledge. In the Hebrew, that phrase, learn sense, actually means get an understanding heart. It's a matter of the heart. The wisdom of God is not a, a head thing, it's a heart thing. And the wisdom that Proverbs talks about, it's really a way of life rooted in the fear of the Lord. It all starts with having proper respect and reverence toward Lord, the Lord God. Wisdom calls us because she wants our attention. She wants us to know some things about her. She has a lot to say. As we move into verses 6 and 11, wisdom wants to reveal her value to us. In these verses, we're going to see wisdom's worth. Hear, for I will speak noble things. In the Hebrew, that means excellent things, worthwhile things. From my lips come what is right. My mouth will utter truth. All the words of my mouth are righteous. Wisdom assures us she's worth listening to. Her words are worth heeding because they're pure. They're excellent. They're unlike anything else out there. Psalm 19 says, 7 says that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Only God's wisdom can give us absolutely pure insight, untainted by sin, not marred by prejudice or impure motives. God's wisdom will never try to manipulate us. It's not cleverly designed to mislead us, to trick us, to trap us. Those are all the things that Lady Folly and Sin did in chapter seven. Wisdom wants us to see and to know that everything about her is true, it's right, it's excellent. Through God's wisdom, we get to think like God thinks about a subject. We have divine insight into how to navigate life. We are provided with God's perspective on what works in life and what's not gonna work. How great a value is that? What is it worth to have God's wisdom in your life? Does anything on earth compare with that? Verses 10 and 11, she says, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold for wisdom is better than jewels. 
and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. We're being told that possessing God's wisdom is better than winning the lottery, better than amassing great wealth or owning costly diamonds. The NIV says it's nothing you desire compares with her. What a statement. Wisdom is saying that what she offers is worth more than anything that you can desire and nothing compares with her wisdom. That reminded me so much of Jesus teaching that the kingdom of heaven is like a field with a treasure in it. And when a man discovers that treasure, he goes and with joy, he sells all that he has in order to buy that field. Nothing that that man owned could compare with the joy that he found in that treasure. And then Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. So in both these parables, nothing that they had in this life, nothing that they owned matched up to the value of Christ. They were willing to give up all that in order to gain Christ as their treasure, Christ as their precious pearl. Wisdom is saying, I'm so worth it. Having considered wisdom's worth, we'll now look at verses 20 or 12 to 21, and we will see wisdom's wealth. Like diamonds laid out in a display case, her rich qualities are laid out over these next 10 verses. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord, which is wisdom, is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance, the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign. Rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles and all who govern justly. That's godly leadership. So let me just pause here and consider wisdom's wealth. Look at all the ways that wisdom can enrich our lives, can shape our relationship with God, shape our relationship with ourself, our family, guide our decisions, direct our finances, help us navigate through life, empower us. Let me touch on some of these qualities. Uh, prudence. Prudence avoids danger through foresight. A prudent person deliberates before acting. Prudence is not rash or reckless or hasty. You're wise to be prudent. And then knowledge. Knowledge refers to a clear perception of truth, an awareness of information and facts. Discretion is good judgment, the ability to distinguish what is right, particularly to avoid an offense. And counsel, that's direction, sound advice, wise guidance, and bear in mind that the Holy Spirit is also our counselor. Sound wisdom. That's effective instruction that leads to a successful outcome, sound wisdom. Insight, understanding the true nature of people, relationships, and the interconnectedness. A moment of insight from God can be worth more than a lifetime of experience. And we look at strength, that's power, force, the ability to resist the ability to achieve and godly leadership, the fair, just, 
equitable exercise of authority that honors God and honors people. These are fantastic qualities. And the amazing thing that each one of them, that wisdom has, it's all available to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider the riches that we have in Christ. Consider our spiritual wealth. Ephesians 3.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us. So it's not a future. It's he has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. As you and I allow the lordship of Jesus Christ to own us more and more as we yield to God's work of transformation, we will experience the blessings of godly prudence, of spiritual insight, of the power to resist sin, discretion, godly leadership. In verses 18 to 21, wisdom wants us to know that she is more than able to enrich our lives. She says, riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. Please don't hear what she is not saying. Notice wisdom is not saying that her fruit is fine gold, or that if you have her, you will have choice silver. No, she's saying having me is better than having gold and silver, better than material prosperity. She can enrich our lives with enduring wealth, spiritual wealth, heavenly wealth, rather than earthly temporal wealth. And she mentions her fruit. What is wisdom's fruit? I believe that wisdom's fruit is mentioned in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. It is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is enduring wealth. That is a person living a rich life. That is a blessed life. Verses 20 and 21 say, I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, filling their treasuries. We see that wisdom provides those who love her an inheritance. And in 1 Peter 1, 4, we're told that because of the resurrection of Christ, because we've been born into God's family, God has granted us an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade away. It never loses its value. We inherit the riches of Christ. The scripture says that we are considered joint heirs with him. So in him, we receive his righteousness. We receive eternal life. That is a great spiritual wealth. So these verses we just looked at have revealed both the depth and the magnitude of wisdom's wealth. And as we move into the next verses, 22 to 31, we're going to see wisdom's wonderful works. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up. And notice what is highlighted there. At the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. 
before he had made the earth with its field or the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, established the fountains of the deep, assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. Daily his delight, rejoicing before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, delighting in the children of man. I think we can all see what stands out in this passage is that four times wisdom is telling us that she was with God before the foundation of the world. Clearly wants us to know that she existed before creation existed and that as God was creating the heavens and the earth and shaping the seas and building mountains and forming fields, that wisdom was there like a master craftsman. The Hebrew word for craftsman can be translated a skilled architect. And that phrase beside him in verse 30 actually has the idea of joining in on the act of creation. This text is saying that God and wisdom rejoice daily in bringing something out of nothing and establishing an order out of chaos, light out of darkness, and together they delighted in creating a humanity to inhabit the world that they had made. Now this very poetic description of wisdom's wonderful work reminds us not only of the Genesis account of creation with its days of creation followed by it's very good, it's good, it's good, and all the joy and celebration of that. It also reminds us of what John said about the relationship between creation and Christ in John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Now John goes on to tell us how that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have no doubt, it's very clear that that word is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Colossians 1.16 says of Christ, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, Rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Well, why is it so important that Christ existed before creation and was involved in creation? Many reasons, but the one reason I want to focus on is that we instinctively understand that the creator is always greater than the thing created. That the craftsman who makes something from scratch knows everything there is to know about that creation. They alone are entitled to be the absolute authority on why that created thing exists at all, on how it best functions, what its purpose is. Only the master craftsman knows what would constitute a proper use of his creation and what would count as a misuse of it. No one has more knowledge, insight, wisdom, or authority about that creation than the one who created it. So in this poem... Wisdom is trying to prove that she's uniquely qualified to speak into our lives. She helped shape the world. She can help shape your world. She was there bringing forth things out of nothing. She can bring out the best in you. She can guide us into the life 
that we were actually designed to live because she was there with God. She knows how it all works. She has knowledge that no one else could possibly have. And yet, in this poem, their wisdom is calling out in the crossroads, imploring people to pay attention to her, to listen to her. You get the feeling that not many were. They don't seem to realize her value, her worth, her wealth. They don't seem to know who she is. And doesn't it just remind us of what John wrote about Jesus in John 1.10, that he was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. And so God's gracious call to the world continues. In the remaining five verses, this poem closes with one more appeal from wisdom to be heard and heeded. Having established her worth and her wealth and her wonderful works, we're going to see that there's a blessing for those who would keep wisdom's ways. Verse 32 says, Now, O son, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways, who align themselves with my values and my manner of living. What is that way of wisdom? What is that blessed manner of living? James 3.13 says, Who's wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. I don't always put those two things together. Humility that comes from wisdom. But God's wisdom will produce humility, not haughtiness. It will express itself through good deeds rather than a verbal display showing off knowledge. There's a way of wisdom for us to keep. And James tells us further what that would look like in your life. He said in James 3.17 that the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, it's pure. And it's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and it is sincere. You see, the wisdom that comes from heaven is going to have heavenly qualities and our lives will be so blessed if we keep that way of wisdom. Now in verse 34, wisdom speaks of the blessedness of those who watch and wait for her. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Watching and waiting speaks of intentionality. It describes someone who's awake and alert, looking to Christ, active in prayer, alive in their relationship with God, certainly not asleep at the wheel not just coasting with their Christianity like a casual follower, but they are all in, totally committed. That person is very blessed. Why are they very blessed? Verse 35 tells us, they are blessed because whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Sounds so much like when Jesus said, I am the way, the life, or I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you're here this morning, if you found Jesus, you have found life. John 20, 29, Jesus speaking said, blessed are those who have not seen me, and yet you believe. If you believe in Christ, you are a very blessed person. But the passage doesn't end there. It ends with a warning. We see that in verse 36, wisdom's warning. He who fails to find me 
injures himself. And all who hate me, or all, yes, all who hate me love death. Now that word fail means to miss the mark, means to sin against. This verse says, if you miss out on receiving Christ and his grace and his forgiveness and his offer of eternal life, if you turn from his call to you and you will not believe in him, you are hurting yourself in this life and in the life to come. Again, the, the Hebrew for injure really was trying to underscore this is a violent, violent, severe injury that you're doing to yourself. So the stakes are high. If you find Christ, you've found life. If you hate Christ, you must love death. That word hate involves treating someone like an enemy. That means if you relate to Christ like an enemy, so you oppose him rather than submit. You resist him rather than embrace. You're actually choosing a way of death over a way of life. So God, God wants us to give that severe warning. God's wisdom has also made a wonderful way. Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God, has come seeking to save the lost. His gospel of grace calls out to everyone. All are invited to come. Like a good shepherd, he goes about seeking out sheep that have wandered, sheep that are wounded. He wants to bring healing and wholeness. As our creator, he made us, which means he knows every detail about us. He knows what would be the best life for us. He loves us and he delights in the idea of us knowing him. Jesus wants you. Jesus is calling you to know him more, to experience even more of his life-changing love and forgiveness. Like wisdom, he's not hiding away. It is we who hide from him. Jesus wants us to recognize his worth, to understand that knowing him is better than anything else, that nothing we desire compares with him. In heaven, the angels cry out, worthy is the lamb who was slain, worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our time. He's worthy of our service. He's worthy of our gifts and offerings. There's nothing that compares to his worth. Wisdom is calling you and me to follow Christ to cry worthy is the lamb, to receive his blessings that will enrich our life. We're wealthy in Christ because he has given us eternal life. He has given us peace that passes all understanding. His atoning blood has washed our sins as white as snow. His mercy and his grace have been poured out on us. His love sought us out, found us, and adopted us into his family. We are rich in Christ. We are a people blessed. Having received all that from the Lord as his redeemed people, let us now commit ourselves to keep his ways, to listen and to love his word, to watch and to wait for him in prayer, to worship him as brothers and sisters in Christ, to submit ourselves to him as our creator, our king, to walk humbly, and above all, to get wisdom. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage that speaks so highly of wisdom. 
And it points to your son and our savior, Jesus Christ, who is the power and the wisdom of God. Father, you've richly blessed us in Christ. You've rescued us, redeemed us through the righteousness of Christ. You've given us your inspired word to nourish our soul. You've given us your Holy Spirit to counsel and to guide us. You provided us an eternal inheritance in heaven that can never lose its value. You've given us your love, your peace, your mercy, your power. Nothing we have compares with you. We're so grateful that you've given to us all these things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. We love you, God. We give you all praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I would now invite you to stand and respond in worship.